The reading can be found on page 287 of the Old Testament and is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at the first verse. So that's 287 of the Old Testament. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's very strange, but um, a number of people have said to me, they've taken one look at me this morning, and they said, oh, you're preaching today. <laughs> now, I've got to say that I wear ties not just when I'm preaching, also when I go to weddings and funerals. And so. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be with you this morning and to be able to share with you, but I've got the preacher's curse today. I've got to speak about hypocrisy. 
So the words that I will be sharing with you are from God, okay? Because they probably apply to me as much as they do to you. They should always be from God anyway, but you know what I mean. How far would you go to ask Jesus a question? The group of Pharisees and scribes that we read about in Matthew 15 travelled 75 miles to ask Jesus a question. But not because they wanted to know the answer, but because they wanted to undermine him and discredit him and his teaching. They went all of that way just to try and get at Jesus. But Jesus used the opportunity, as he often did, to turn the tables on them, answering their question with a question, then going on to give some very important teaching for them and for us. A couple of weeks ago, I was on holiday in Wales, having a lovely holiday down in Solva with the family, when I spotted that my son and daughter-in-law had a Tesco bag that they brought with them. Well, you might say, how interesting is that? Well, I actually have a Tesco bag, just like the one they had here. And as I was looking at it, it suddenly hit me that it had this morning's theme on it. Because it says, it's what's inside that counts. And that is exactly what the passage in Matthew 15 is all about. It's what's inside that counts. So thank you, Tesco. I'm a Morrison's man myself, but there we go. (laughs) Don't tell them. Um, It seems to sum up exactly what Jesus was saying. And you might want to stick with, um, open your Bible at Matthew 15, because that's where most of our thoughts will be coming from. And also, it's what's inside that counts. And also we can take the words that God said to Samuel when he was um, looking for a new king to replace Saul. Remember what we just had read to us. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when we come to Matthew 15, the first six verses, we find what the issue is, what the problem that these scribes and Pharisees had. Don't forget to wash your hands. How many times have you said that? Or as children, have you had that said to you? Don't forget to wash your hands. The problem concerning the religious leaders that came to Jesus was that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate a meal. Wow, they were grown-up people. They should have known, surely, that you wash your hands But it wasn't about that. If we were to look at Mark 7, the parallel passage to this, we find there's a lot more detail because what the problem was, it was, they were saying, look, people come from the marketplace. In other words, they've been with people who weren't Jews. They were with the unclean. They've been with Gentiles. So whenever they come to do anything, There was this ceremonial washing that had to be undertaken. I was at a wedding yesterday, and it was mentioned about the wedding at Cana of Galilee, and where Jesus changed the water into wine, and there were these six large stone pots. And I noticed when it was read 
and talked about that they were there for ceremonial washing. So before anyone did anything, they had to wash their hands. Not, it wasn't a matter of hygiene. It was that they, as it says here, by not washing their hands, they were breaking the tradition of the elders in verse 2 and allegedly making themselves ceremonially unclean and unworthy to approach a holy God. But what were the tradition of the elders? They were customs and traditions that had developed over the years and then had been passed down from one generation to another, gathering importance as they went. The particular tradition, this particular tradition about washing of hands had evolved from God's original instructions to priests. And the problem was that these traditions had eventually become more important than God's word itself, tying people up in religious knots rather than setting them free to worship God in spirit and truth. And as we've said, Jesus loved to turn the tables. People came and asked him a question, but he never answered the question directly. He'd turn it round and ask them a question. And Jesus asks to them, why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he tells them in verse 6, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, you're depriving God's word of its power and authority, making it of no effect. Jesus is asking what is most important, your man-made traditions or God's word? What were they doing? He says, you're actually breaking the fifth commandment. He moves on from washing of hands, and he says, look, you're breaking the fifth commandment. I'm not going to ask you what the fifth commandment, because I know, I'm sure you all know what it is. It's about honour your father and mother. And he says, what you're doing, you found a religious legal loophole that allowed them to neglect responsibility for their elderly parents by saying they were dedicating all of their money and goods to the temple, when actually they were probably not doing anything of the sort. It was just a way to keep the money for themselves. A bit like having an offshore account this, these days, I guess. That sort of thing, you know. I'm sure you've all got one of those. Um, and so Jesus says, how can you judge my disciples for breaking the tradition of the elders when you're actually ignoring God's word? You're breaking one of God's commandments given by Moses. So Jesus is teaching here that the heart that's right with God keeps tradition in its proper place. There's nothing wrong with traditions, but if traditions become more important than God's word, then they're wrong. And it's an area that we need to keep in mind, isn't it? To, it's easy to do things just because we've always done them that way. Or to find ways around God's teaching that suits our desires. Or to allow traditions or the teaching of men and women to become more important than God's word. But then he moves on in verses 7 to 9 and he says, You hypocrites! Well, no one loves a hypocrite, do they? A phony, a pretender. And Jesus was no different. What is hypocrisy? I looked up in the, the dictionary, the um, 
Cambridge English Dictionaries describes it as a situation in which someone pretends to believe something that they do not really believe or that is the opposite of what they do or say at another time. I guess we could probably sum it up by saying it's people who don't practice what they preach. People who don't practice what they preach. And of course, Jesus, we often think about Jesus and he loves everybody and everything. But, you know, Jesus doesn't love hypocrisy. He hates hypocrisy. And throughout the Bible, we find that God hates hypocrisy. Isaiah 29 verse 13 is quoted in verses 8 and 9 here. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. If you were to look in Isaiah chapter 1 and verses 10 to 17, God describes in the strongest terms how he feels about the hypocrisy of the worship of the children of Israel. He says, I've had more than enough of your burnt offerings. I have no pleasure. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. My soul hates. I am weary of them. They're a burden to me. This is God speaking to the people of Israel about their worship. In other words, I can see right through you. Stop being hypocrites. Trying to fool me, saying one thing but doing another, acting as if God is first in your life when he isn't. Stop pretending, he says, because I hate it. See, God knows what is in our hearts, doesn't he? We can fool lots of people a lot of the time, but we can't fool God any of the time. Of course, we're all hypocrites to some extent. We have to admit that. For none of us are able to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength all of the time. But God knows the desires of our hearts. God knows what we're trying to do. He knows we're not trying to be hypocrites if, if we're not. He knows that we're trying to do our best to live for him, trying to avoid being hypocrites. It's those who deliberately set out to hoodwink others, who try and put on a show, who pretend they're something that they're not, they're the people that Jesus is targeting here. You know, the heart that honours God avoids hypocrisy. But the third thing, the final thing is the real problem, the real issue that is before them here. It's in verses 10 to 20. Jesus is teaching and he's saying it's a heart problem not a hand problem. It's a heart problem, not a hand problem. He said, what makes a person unclean or defiled isn't whether you wash your hands or not. We've got to separate the issue of health and hygiene from spiritual uncleanness or defilement. The New, in the New International Version, the Study Bible says, Fellowship with God is not interrupted by unclean hands or food, but sin. Jesus makes clear in verse 17 that what you eat, whatever food it is, goes in the same way and comes out the same way, to put it bluntly. It's surely what we take into our brains, into our minds, into our hearts that decides what comes out of our mouths. 
the heart in the biblical sense is the true centre of a person. For the things that come out of our mouths, our actions, our thoughts come from the heart, from the centre of our being, Jesus says in verses 19 to 20. And if our heart is right with God, we will produce good things that glorify him. But if our hearts are not right with God, we will produce bad things that bring no glory to him. The true us can be seen when the act stops. When we take off our masks, when we reveal our true hearts. As we've already said, we may be able to trick a lot of people. We may be able to trick some people most of the time, but we cannot trick God any of the time. As our title for today says, Jesus sees inside. And the heart that honours God understands the true source of defilement to uncleanness. But to conclude, remember our Tesco bag. It's what's on the inside that counts. It's not what you eat, not how many times you wash your hands, not how you act, not how many good deeds you do if they're done for the wrong reasons, not how many times you pray, not how many times you take communion. It's about your heart. The psalmist prayed, give me an undivided heart. A heart that's right with God. And that's the question I've got to leave with you this morning. Is your heart right with God? Is Jesus first in your life? Is Jesus your heart's desire? We've seen what Jesus did for us on the cross as we celebrated communion this morning. How can we be half-hearted in our response to him? Jesus sees inside. He knows what we really desire. And he knows what we're really like. Amen.